Welcome to the podcast. We do recover with Jared Miller, your host. And I'm Dr. Terry Sellers, your co-host. This is a podcast about recovery from addiction. We want to talk about what successful recovery can look like. Brought to you by Steps Recovery Center and the St. George Hilton Garden Inn. Easter weekend is here, everybody. Easter weekend is here. Listen, I hope you got your eggs. I hope you've hard boiled them. I go. I hope that you got the all the different <laughs> colors and the dye out right. Get those hard shell eggs that split in the middle and get your candy. It's time for some Easter hunting. It's time for some family. It's time for some good food. It is Easter weekend, baby. Yeah, I, just, I just had an epiphany. Wait, you have to use vinegar, right, on the eggs? Yes, you're supposed to. Isn't isn't that what they uh, fed Jesus on the cross? They put vinegar in the sponge. <laughs> I don't. I, I, <laughs> I don't just, know. That just clicked. I'm like, isn't that what they did? That's crazy. I have no idea. <laughs> oh my gosh! By doing Easter eggs, we're sacrilegious. Do you think? Oh, that, it- that ruins everything. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that if you Googled that, it would like tell you? Do you think somebody like knew back then? You talk. I'll Google. Okay. All right. <laughs> Listen, everybody, today for episode 77, I have invited on an amazing guest. Her name is Lana Rose Nielsen. Mm-hmm. Lana's come on to talk a little recovery with me today, spread a little message of hope. Before that, though, episode 77 is brought to you by Steps Recovery Centers, where they are ready to help you or a loved one get help as soon as you're ready to get help. Check it out. They have detox. They have residential. They have outpatient, residential inpatient. So detox, inpatient, outpatient. From start to finish, they are ready to help you or a loved one. Just reach out. Give them a call at 801-800-8142. Or you can go to their their website at stepsrc.com. I used to do that really fast, and I got asked (laughs) to slow down. Oh, really? So that you can actually understand what I'm saying. (laughs) I have to throw in the uh, HTTPS colon slash slash, if you will. Thank you. There you go. There you go. All right. We love steps. Thank you guys so much for sponsoring this podcast. So yeah. Lana, we, we, I, look at, look at that smile, man. She's, she's, you are ready to rock and roll. I love it. So we That's always true. start off with mm-hmm. new and good. Like what is currently going on in your world? Let's pr- practice a little positive psychology, right? It's real easy to complain about the gas prices these days. Real yeah. easy to complain about, you know, all the cr- craziness in the world. What is new and good in your life? Oh, well, I recently just started dating. I got the <laughs> Wow, okay. I got the word that <clears throat> it was time to it was well enough that I could bring another person into my world. So that's been a whole new spin on. Where did that message come? Was that like an epiphany you had? It was it was a suggestion from people in the fellowship. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. How much clean people. time do you have? Uh 4 years. 4 years. My sobriety date is 2/2/2018. Fantastic. Yeah. Hey, listen, <laughs> would you recommend that other people wait four years? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think the original suggestion is a year, but I, yeah. I, so I waited that time actually, and then um, got into a relationship, didn't work out. And so I took some more time, I guess, to really work on myself. <laughs> that, hey, that's awesome, right? That's awesome. Yeah. Great. Well, well, good luck in the dating game. Any yeah. good apps out there you're using? Uh, Bumble, but mostly I just, it's people I know, I guess, word of mouth or, you know, people at church too. Are you getting set up on blind dates? Um, yeah, a few. I have a few. How are those? Any funny stories? Um, uh, no, one of them, well, it was a, actually it was a friend of my aunt's and I went over to a party and, um, they were drinking there and he got pretty loaded. I brought a friend, you know, but, um. But yeah, so that was kind of funny. I got to see a different, I, per, yeah. Did he know? <laughs> did he know about you at all? Did he know you were in recovery? Yeah, he did. Yeah. What? Yeah. That's uh, crazy. That's I had funny. a bad date like that one time too, right? So I'm married now. We're gonna turn this into a dating podcast, apparently. But I was, I was dating, and I took this lovely lady to dinner, uh-huh. and the entire time she was on her phone, right? Oh man. And the plan was, I told her ahead of time, we're gonna go to dinner and then to a movie. Well, after dinner, like it was one of the most awkward, like she was talking, but through while she was texting or doing something. Right. So afterwards I was like, Hey, check it out. You know, uh, I don't really feel like the vibe is right here. It seems like you're a little bit more into your phone. So let's just skip the movie. And then she's like, wait, what? I thought it was going great. I was like, yeah, apparently. 
Oh, that's the worst. So you have some bad experiences. Yeah, I know that it's hard. The whole dating scenario is hard because it's awkward and it's almost easier to just not do it. For sure. So it's another fear that I have to get over, fear hurdle. There you go. Which there's a lot of them. And some growing pains. Yes. Fantastic. Constantly. Let's check in with Sean Denman. Sean Denman, what is new and good in your world, man? Everything's fine. Thanks for asking. Come on. We got to get more than that. Oh, uh, um, I don't know. I, I, it's been a rough week. So, <laughs> so you're asking for new and good. I'm like, yeah, I got to think about that one for a second. But I'm kind of blown away with this whole vinegar thing that just came to mind. The whole vinegar <laughs> eggs, vinegar Jesus thing. That's good. Did you Google I, it? I, I'm still trying to find some anything that stands out about it. But nothing's really like popped out yet. No. Yeah. Maybe it's just maybe. It maybe wasn't I'm the first guy that thought about that. <laughs> or maybe wow. maybe they really didn't put vinegar. maybe don't take away yeah. my steam man let, oh okay. let, let me have my moment here all right <laughs> sean denovan the first person to correlate vinegar on eggs and vinegar in the sponge there you go <laughs> boom boom <laughs> all right i'm, I'm gonna Did they I'm gonna... have sponges back then yeah yeah, yeah sponges <laughs> Did they? yeah 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 remember he said i thirst and so then they put some vinegar on the sponge and and they put it up to jesus's mouth while he was on the oh. cross and he did not partake you know what, though? I'm glad you brought all this up because it really, like, it's important to remember, yeah. you know, the Easter is about... Bunny rabbits. <laughs> oh, sorry, Jesus. My bad. Yes. Yes, it is. It is about Jesus. All right. Well, my new and good. Uh, this next week... New and good. Thank you for that. Mid-sentence. So this time <laughs> next week, I, I won't be here. So Dr. Sellers is going to be here next week with a guest. I will be on my way to Warshaw, Indiana. I'm one of the speakers at, uh, it's Bridge the Gap. It's a Bridge the Gap event out there. It's going to be April 23rd. And if you go to Pain to Purpose, uh, you'll be able to, to watch that. There should be some amazing speakers. Um, people, they have a guy performing uh, singing. I mean, it's going to be fantastic. I don't want to ruin it by name dropping everybody, but, uh, but definitely check that out. So hey, cool. here we are. <laughs> here we are. <laughs> you ready to talk some recovery? Yeah, for sure. All right, Lana. So, I mean, everybody's story has a place like, uh, uh, you know, where does, where does your story start for you? Well, I think, so I started, so actually I grew up, well, Montana was homeschooled. I think that's part of some of my I don't know, insecurities, I guess. I think I always felt like kids knew um, stuff that I didn't. And so I that kind of played into my, I found out through, you know, some work on myself that, but yeah, so we moved to St. George. And so kind of like, like you were left out a little bit. Yeah, a little which bit. Which probably increased social anxiety. Yes. Did you get inside your head? Yes. Uh huh. Right. You know what though? I, I find that interesting because a lot of people that come on this podcast say when they were younger, they felt like they just were missing something that somebody else had. Right. Like yes. almost like a fear of missing out, right? Totally. Yeah. yeah. Put words to it. Yes. It's just a weird correlation that a lot of people talk about. Yeah. Okay. Sorry to mean to interrupt. No, you. no, no. Um, yeah. So I, um, St. George, we moved to St. George when I was about 14, really involved in the church and sports. I played uh, sports. And my mom periodically would pull me out of sports because I would get so intense on it, you know, which is very. Addict you're very competitive <laughs> yes and right. just just so you know we have listeners all over the united states and across you know and across seas so when you say the church oh okay i'm um, mormon church i grew up in the lds, uh, faith. LDS faith yes latter-day saints. Uh-huh. Latter okay. saints so you're super competitive mm-hmm. soccer player uh water polo water, and I, and water I swam. polo yeah wow <laughs> yeah we started my girlfriend and i started the first water polo water polo team here in saint george so that was fun. And then, you know, it just started out. I remember, um, you know, I smoked my first cigarette when I was young. And I remember, I actually remember the first time I missed practice to go smoke a cigarette, you know. And I think that was kind of, I started choosing, um, you know, substances, I guess, over my sport, which is really telling now that I look back. But it started out kind of, I kind of like... I remember getting Oxycontins and I would do them after work, you know, after I was done with my day and I'd write poetry, you know, I felt like it connected me to. This is at 14. No, no, no. Sorry. I jumped some years. This is 18, 19. So I got to ask. Yeah. When you, cause I can remember my first cigarette too. Okay. When you smoked that first cigarette, did you think this is delicious? <laughs> no. <laughs> right. <laughs> 
No. What was your first thought? Just curious. Just- I don't know. It was I saw my older sisters do it, so I always just thought it was cool looking, yeah. you know, and that was mostly it. I thought it was cool. Too funny. So, yeah. Too funny. <laughs> my dad caught me chewing when I was little. He and, did. Yeah. And so he was going to do like aversion therapy, right? Or you like, oh. you know, make make you hate it. So he made me put the whole can in my mouth, right? The whole can I've of heard chew. that. Yeah. And I was so sick, but to this day I still have a nicker a nicotine issue me too yeah so parents out there listen that doesn't work <laughs> right does. that d- don't make them smoke the whole pack right <laughs> yeah. okay all right sorry i'm getting sideways here i'm just trying to have some fun with you okay no, i love it so it's we great. fast forward a few years yeah fast forward a few years so um yeah it started out like that i kind of my idea of it was that it uh, helped me be closer to the spiritual realm you know i yeah write poetry and that was kind of my idea of it and then it quickly started uh progressing you know then i was doing lines of oxycontin at at church and you know what i mean during the day and it just progressed relatively so it started off kind of recreationally recreationally or like for you to kind of escape get more into your art feel maybe a little bit more spiritual connection with with whatever you're involved in Yes, and then uh-huh. the dependence it sounds like is starting to set in. Where yeah, you need it more and more. It definitely the dependence started to yeah take over. And I remember <clears throat> I moved. Well, it was a few years out. You know, it progressively started to get worse. And this is after some years too of you know the eight ball and drinking on the weekends. It was, you know, it was kind of all these things that just laid into each other, and it, of course, just increased in my daily life, but. <clears throat> I remember I moved, I moved to California and, um, and then I started making trips back. I had my dealer, uh, you know, I trips back on the weekend to pick up or I'd have my dealer, um, you know, FedEx me. Sure. The pills. Yeah. yeah. I got in a major car accident. I have a lot of car accidents in my story. Um, no hospital visits yet, but, um, but yeah, I, uh, yeah, I moved to get away from myself. During that time too, I actually moved to the Caribbean with an ex-boyfriend. And that was on a whole, There, that's when I started, I moved back to St. George after a major car accident in California. And um, I started messing around with heroin. And I knew it was getting, you know, bad enough to the point that people could tell, I guess. And that's a lot of it, too, is just switching, you know, switching drugs when it got too bad or, you know, moved to alcohol. Um, I did a lot, a lot of that. You said something, though, that interests me, you Mm -hmm. know, the the moving around a lot. You said I moved to try to get away from myself. Like, yeah, (laughs) did you did you ever? And the, the problem is no matter where we go, there we are. Right. Yeah. Was the narration in your mind like, hey, fresh start. All I need to do is move to California. And then I can quit doing all this stuff. I'll just be away from it. Yeah, I think I always put it like it was the people around me that were causing the problem. You know what I mean? If I could just get away from these people or people I know I can get from or I never thought it was me that was. Yeah, it's always their fault, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, That's a great. We love to rationalize and justify. (laughs) I know. Listen, I'm laughing with you because I can totally relate. It's never us. Yeah, it's never. Never. That never crossed my mind. So California, back to St. George, St. George, Caribbean. Caribbean, yes. What were you doing in the Caribbean? I just working my, I had a guy that I waited for. He went to war. This is after, um, you know, 9-11. And so you were dating a, a guy in the military. Yeah, guy in the military. Uh-huh. I waited for him. And when he got back, he wanted to, um, yeah, he wanted to move to the Caribbean. And I thought this timing was needed. You know what I mean? It's probably a year after he got back because I was getting bad enough that I thought, okay, this is, I need to go. It interests me though. Do you feel like you were dependent on Oxycontin at this point? Um, or were there, yeah. were there pockets of sobriety within all this moving? Like, did you move there and genuinely try and get a little progress and then fall back into it? Or was it, did you go there and it just was the same? Well, I just switched addictions when I got to the Caribbean you know what I mean I probably did that a lot where it was like all right I can leave you know um leave my heroin behind my dealers you know and I really genuinely thought yeah I would be good and like I always thought the great obsession I've had is that I would be if I just took away the drugs and alcohol it would be better you know and I could go back to normal 
life. You know, I'm so glad you said that because that is so <laughs> profound that I don't think I've heard anybody ever say before. Yeah. And that really wasn't because the, the drugs and alcohol really aren't the problem. Yeah, they're not. Uh -huh. That's going to sound crazy, right? But, <laughs> but they're not. They're not. Yeah. Okay. And we'll get to that maybe a little bit more later, but okay. Okay. So you, you're moving back and forth. Yeah. Mo moving back and forth. Um, the Caribbean was, it ended up, you know, the relation after he got back from war ended, there was some abuse, I guess it got, it became abusive. And probably because he didn't know what to do with me also. Not that that's an excuse, but um, I was just off the chains. The alcoholic, hardcore, you know, coke. Um, you were completely in over your head at this point. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Out <laughs> of control. And it was kind of accepted <laughs> in the islands, you know. There was a lot of people that were doing that, so... But I was a different level. You were just trying to be culturally appropriate, <laughs> yeah. sounds like. It's just right? fitting in. Listen, yeah. Lana, I'm going to co-sign your BS all day. I'm loving it, okay? She's just trying to fit in, everybody. Thanks. Yeah. Right? It's everybody else's fault. Yeah. All right, where do we go from here? <laughs> so I moved back after kind of a traumatic event with him that, you know, really, yeah, just another, you know, in my, in my disease, it's kind of like you, I perpetuated these traumatic events or these experiences that I never really got I don't know later on I learned from them but I never took the time out to kind of heal or you know what I mean to really help um, look at those things and and you know bring myself to a different level so but yeah so I moved back from that I moved actually <clears throat> when I got back I moved back to California and this time I uh, I went to school esthetician school and I got into therapy and I was doing hot yoga, um, you know, twice a day, you know, my obsessive, whatever. So I really dove into <clears throat> what triggered the change. Um, I, was there any kind of intervention from family or a friend or, or was there an epiphany you came to on your own? Like that's pretty significant, right? You go from, you know, partying like there's no tomorrow in the Caribbean. You have this, um, unfortunate event with with your boyfriend when he comes back which i'm sure listen if he was military i'm sure he had a lot of stuff he was struggling yeah, with too mm -hmm. but then you go back to california and now all of a sudden it's like therapy and hot yoga yeah <laughs> so i mean what influenced that lana well i think it was it was a uh, you know a near-death experience in the caribbean that really you know i something that big i really wanted to change that was the event with the boyfriend. Yes. Uh-huh. Okay. So I, yeah. So I just dove into, you know, and slowly and granted, I was still drinking on the weekends that slowly, slowly started to perpetuate. Well, yeah, you were living in California. You were yeah. California sober. <laughs> Apparently exactly. that's a Cal thing. Yeah. Apparently that's is. a thing these days, right? Yeah. I know. I never liked the pot thing, but you know. It's terrible. I, I totally <laughs> disagree with, you know, California sober. But anyways, it was a funny little jab. Okay. <laughs> I know. So you're drinking on the weekends. Yeah, drinking on the weekends and um and yeah, always, you know, able to control it or what I thought was control. I remember I went to I moved in with a a friend down there. Found out later she was she was a prostitute, you know what I mean, which that kind of came out later, but um just she was was taking a lot of prescriptions and you know, hey, you should go to my doctor. You're taking enough of my pills. So then I got on the pills. And then I had um, another traumatic event. I was actually, that was, um, I was raped by a serial rapist. I later had to go back and testify against him. There were 74 victims in I'm that so case. Sorry. No, it's, it's, I worked through it. You know, sure. a lot of people don't get justice on that stuff. So I'm just grateful it worked out. I'm still sorry you had did. that experience though. Oh, yeah. Thanks, Jared. Yeah. 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 But, but you're uh, a survivor. Yeah, I'm a survivor and that, yeah. So during this time too, I, um, I moved back to, um, to St. George and this is when intervention actually happened. Hold on a minute. The TV show. Yes. So TV show on a &E, in St. George, Utah. Yeah. St. George, Utah. I was on intervention. Wow. And so it was, my life was pretty much in shambles. My family knew it and I wasn't talking about, you know, any of it, I'm not even sure if they believed the story, you know, about this rape case. And um, and my drinking was just out of control at this point. You know, I really didn't know how to deal with the trauma. There were, The trauma from that came from, they showed me the video of my rape. They showed me, and I think that caused um, 
you know, like a replay in my head that was really, I didn't know how to deal with that. And then being the lead witness, I, you know, no therapy or no one to talk to about. It was, it was kind of a weird so the fix, space I was in. Yeah. And that, which is totally understandable, right? Like uh, I'm a substance abuse counselor. And so basically mm -hmm. what I hear is due to your trauma response, you tried to cope with alcohol. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, right. Or it sounds like, you know, other substances as well, but mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, people think, and like we touched on earlier, people think that the drugs and alcohol are the problem. Oftentimes it's not right. Um, we put ourselves at higher risk when we're involved in it for sure. Right. But then typically we get to a point where we can't stop. It moves from recreationally to daily when there's other type of traumas that happen that go unaddressed. And that's right. not everybody's story, but that's a lot of people's story. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. I guess that was, I'll give myself some grace. <laughs> Thanks, Jared. Yeah, for sure. So, so uh, one day all of a sudden cameras just show up. Yeah, it was, it was funny. Cause my, I've always wondered how does that even yeah, start? Like, I know. How do people even, like, That's normally the question I get from people, but it was, um, my sister told me it was a, I guess, um, it was a documentary that for a community college in Northern California, no one would see it. And my family kept bothering me to do it. And I finally just said, whatever. Yeah. Okay. You know, <clears throat> and they, yeah, they showed up at my door and they just a whole crew of them and just recorded and followed me around for a week. And apparently I was the only one that, you know, that really thought it was, no one would see this thing. And, you know, and, um, but you know That's what, though, our awareness show. when we're in active oh, yeah. addiction, our awareness is terrible. Terrible. <laughs> so I told, I believe you, right? Like, right, I would have, they would have got me to hook, line, and sinker for sure. Yeah, so exactly. Don't be too hard on yourself. <laughs> sure. Like, no, I was the only one that believed these people. <laughs> okay. 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 So you got cameras following you around. So, yeah, and that was, um, that was that was pretty shocking once I found out it was going to be on national television. Did I, you feel a little betrayed? Uh, absolutely. Yes, mm -hmm. I did. I really did. I felt like, man, this is <laughs> this is my 15 minutes of fame and I'm at my worst state. <laughs> <laughs> right. And plus they talked, you know, they even brought up the rape which I thought wasn't even, a, you know, um they brought it up in I the documentary. Think, yeah, they yeah. So there was things that I yeah, I totally felt violated on. And I remember I flew out to treatment, um, they Florida <clears throat> and I think the first two months of treatment I didn't even speak. I was really just in shock of like the whole situation. And so I'm not really sure if I got any treatment. <laughs> I was just in shock, but So for two months for two months now where did you go? You went Florida. At what Florida. Was the um, it was Ambrosia, I, the treatment center in uh, Delray Beach, Florida. And how so. was that? How was your experience there? Um, it was, you know, I met a lot of amazing people that I still talk to today. I met um, one of the greatest, uh, Dave, and he was a guy that I dated. He passed away about three years ago from, um, I think it was a heart issue. But, mm. but um, so yeah, I met some amazing people all from the East Coast and, and, um, yeah, the experience was great. I wouldn't change it back or I wouldn't change it for anything. But I knew that if I went to treatment again, it would be on my, you know, when I wanted to. Because I was aware at that time, too, that I wasn't ready to for change, you know. And I told everyone that. I said, look, I'm not ready to get sober. You Which know? is an interesting concept. Yeah. Oftentimes, mm. like, I, I know that our justice system, when they refer people to treatment, I agree with that, right? Because I feel like... It helps provide structure, helps provide accountability and support. But one of the things that I hear from a lot of people that end up going back out once they've gone straight from jail into treatment and then they lapse is I wanted my last time to be when I wanted my last time to be. Yeah. And I don't know if that's like some step three control stuff. I don't quite know what it was, but it was true for you as well. Yes. Yeah, totally. I knew it wasn't going to wasn't going to last, but, um, or I guess at that time, you know, things are always different when I stayed, I stayed sober for a long period of time. And then I, I remember everyone at the halfway house had relapsed. And so it was peeing for all the girls in the house. There was, it, <laughs> oh, wow. and still kind of not putting it together that I was doing it on my own. So I knew, but really the environment, um, I don't know. I really think it, it changed to get sober 
in the place that I kind of started from, which is here in St. George. I really think that was where a shift happened for me, you know? Let's put a pin in it right there because okay. we got a little uh, break coming up here. Okay. That, and I want to get back to uh, the thought process behind peeing for everybody in the female sober living house. That's crazy. <laughs> All right, everybody, this one's flown by fast. Join us for part two of episode 77. Lana's just barely touching the surface. You are listening to We Do Recover with Jared Miller and co-hosted by Dr. Terry Sellers. We'll be right back after this short break with more of We Do Recover with Jared Miller, sponsored by Steps Recovery Center and the Hilton Garden Inn. I'm Desmond Lomax, one of the clinical executives here at Steps Recovery. And once you become of the Steps family, you're just a part of the Steps family. A lot of us have overcome substances, overcome addiction, and now we're able to help other people. Second of all, we're also going to help you in a way where you can afford to be helped. Third of all, we're going to give you the same quality that many organizations are charging two to three times. And it's more about you than it is about our organization. We welcome you back to We Do Recover with Jared Miller, co-hosted by Dr. Terry Sellers, brought to you by Steps Recovery Center and the St. George Hilton Garden Inn. And now with part two of our podcast, Jared Miller and Dr. Terry Sellers. Hey, yo, everybody. We're back for episode 77, part two. We got Lana Rose Nielsen here. She's talking about uh, her journey, which has been kind of a super interesting one for me. I just barely learned this week, actually, that you were on intervention. I didn't even know yeah. that. Yeah. I know in the recovery community locally here in St. George, Utah, you're like a powerhouse. Everybody everybody I talk to is like, you got to get Lana on. You got to get. <laughs> so now I understand it. Now it's starting to make sense, right? It's starting to make sense. Thanks, uh, we'll dive back into her story. Before that, though, episode 77 part two is brought to us by the Hilton Garden Inn. If you or loved ones looking for a little vacay and want to travel through southern Utah, go to Google. Type in Hilton Garden, <laughs> Hilton Garden in Utah. I'm having so much fun with Lana, I can't even get through this, Sean. Uh, they have amazing amenities. It is always sunny and bright at the Hilton Garden Inn in St. George, Utah. Thank you, Hilton, for sponsoring this podcast. We also have Recovery Strong. Recovery Strong is all about... No, we don't have... Okay, here we go. <laughs> No. Boom, Sean Denham. I got 85 buttons. I was like, where is it? It's right there. Recovery Strong is all about fighting addiction and strengthening recovery. Listen, there is a stigma to this thing. Be a part of the movement. Go to recoverystrong.com. Grab you a t-shirt. Grab you a hat. Don't be ashamed to, re to wear your recovery out loud. All right. Thank you, Recovery Strong, for also sponsoring this podcast. Okay. So we were talking about, I mean, intervention. You were one of the first people on there. Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, I think it was season <clears throat> season five. Oh, episode. so not one of the first. Yeah, not Way one not. of the first. Okay. No, uh-uh. No, but um, I, yeah, I don't know how many seasons they have now, but yeah, it's pretty back there. It was, oh, I want to say 2008 is when, yeah. So <clears throat> Sean Denovan has found a little, a little treat here for us. <laughs> if he can, let's see if we can share. There it is. Oh, there you are, Lana. <laughs> On a rose. Yeah. yeah. Episode, let's see, season five, episode eight. It was a mess. You can, yeah. Original air date, February of 09. Yeah, it's interesting because my sobriety date Thanks, landed on the day this aired. It's not interesting. Really? Years later. Yeah, my sister found that. Wow. Crazy, huh? That is crazy. Yeah. Which tells me something, Lana. What? Which tells me that rehab the first time didn't work. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so so let's get that. Yeah. So it, so you, you left us at your peeing for the other four women in your sober living house. Yeah, it was more like eight women. Oh, yeah, wow, that's a lot of a, pee, girl. Yeah, they had a. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Sean. Yeah, Sorry. I don't know if it was all eight of them every every day, but I remember right. there were stacks of cups. Yeah. Forgive me. I think I'm funny. I'm probably no. Not, but forgive me. <laughs> <laughs> it is funny. But yeah, so that, <clears throat> that was it. It was an interesting experience. I, yeah, I didn't stay sober long. We, I actually got kicked out of that halfway house because I was in the guy's dorm on, you know, I was dating a guy in the, he was from Maryland. Rehab so romance. Like, yep. It happens. It happens. Yeah. It's too bad it happens, but it happens. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so. 
No judgment. No judgment. Okay. <laughs> no, it does. But um, <clears throat> so we moved. Um, we actually moved up to Maryland and stayed with right on the ch- shady side of Maryland. We moved there, and I lived there with his family for a little bit, and it just got worse and worse. He was drinking. I remember, you know, um, mouthwash at first. You know, he was. Oh, he started drinking mouthwash. Yeah, mouthwash was his thing. I couldn't really do that, but I dr- I drink occasionally with him. I'm just curious. I mean, Uh you, you, you have a lot of experience and it seems like we, like we've had couples on here in previous episodes that started a rehab romance and been able to stay clean together. Right. Mm -hmm. What is it about wanting to get into a relationship in early recovery? I mean, cause we're not even talking finished with a program at that point. Yeah. Like for you, what was it? I think it's always, you know, it's, we always want to change the state of, um, you know, it can change our feelings or get us out of basically looking at, looking at myself. I'll speak for myself here. It, you know, I didn't have to focus on myself. I could bring, I could focus on this relationship and how to make him happy. You know, it's just a distraction from looking at myself, which is, that's probably the hardest thing I've had to do in recovery is really analyze, you know, what I can change and what makes me tick. And is a good distraction. Right? Yeah. Like there's some validation in relationships. Yes, there's some distraction sure. in relationships. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if, if I have low self-esteem, which now I'm talking from my personal experience, you know, I have low self-esteem and here I have this other person showing me some attention and this other person validating me. It's like starting to hit some of those same dopamine and pleasure systems yes. in my brain that opiates used to hit. Right? Yes. Like, oh, yeah. Without a doubt. Crazy. It can be powerful. Okay, so you're living in yeah. Maine. So, Maine, yeah. So I ended up that uh, we got in a domestic dispute. He went to jail, and I ended up flying back to St. George. So here I come on back to St. You know, this back is, home. This is home this hub is for home. you. Okay. <laughs> so, and that's when my, I would say my disease really took off, went to a whole nother level there. Because I think being now, it's... Uh, on a reality TV show for addiction, I really gave myself the, like, well, I'm an addict and this is, you know, I just, yeah, took that and ran with it. And so my using really hit a, a new bottom and a new low. And that's when I started <clears throat> IV using and, you know, heroin, gel, in and out of gel, um, the hospital, you know, it was, it was bad for a long period of time there. And I think I used that as an excuse you know, sounds like that's kind of when your mental health addiction or when your addiction turned into another piece, which is the mental health piece. You know, I right. think anytime I hear people that are IV using and, you know, hospital trips and uh, high risk situations, mm-hmm. I always think of passive suicidal ideation. Right. Okay. Wow. Right? So like you're not purposely trying to kill yourself, mm-hmm. but you also don't care if you die. Yes. Yeah. Is that a pretty fair estimate of your headspace at that point in your in your journey yeah without a doubt yeah that's what that's really when things you know when you just don't care when my body became like a vehicle to get high i really didn't care what you know i was doing to myself despite whatever consequence came from it Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. Yeah, it's a scary scary phase it is it's really scary (laughs) it's a scary phase (laughs) it is okay yeah so but I went, I remember, I'll just tell you my spiritual experience real quick. Oh, I know this is good stuff. Here we stuff. go. I love it. <laughs> so I was living with a guy here in Washington and um, I woke up, remember I woke up and it was, I call it like a true moment of acceptance. Like I, I woke up and knew, um, I felt like I was in hell, like in a purgatory and I was pretty sure that I didn't. I didn't wake up that I was in hell. I wasn't sure if I OD'd the night before. And I don't know if it was a, you know, a spiritual experience, psychosis. I really don't know what it was, but um, I remember being aware of my, um, my sick state and how all my relationships were sick. And it was, um, I could see it for what it was. And so that went on for about a week. And I kept hoping that I'd wake up from this, you know, this bad dream. So now when you say wake up, like you physically woke up one day and your perception was different? Yeah. I'm trying to understand it. I know. So I, so I woke up, um, yeah. And I just thought maybe I was in the spirit world, I guess. You know what I mean? Like I was in purgatory. 
and I was aware of it. And so I just didn't know how to get out of it, I guess. But you're, I don't but know you're how to actually explain. awake, walking around. I'm actually awake. Things. Yes. Uh -huh. okay. And um, now I remember at the end of that week, I really, I thought I just had to come to Jesus moment. And I really accepted where I was at and like, and no one would be with me. No one would be with me on this journey. My family, no one was, you know, I was alone and I needed to climb out of this thing by myself. Whew. Yeah, it, which it, for me, that was, a, you know, because I was constantly blaming other people or, you know, uh, yeah. So that was, that was a moment of acceptance I had. And I checked in. Good thing the last time I was in jail, some of the girls were talking about treatment center. And so I actually had started that process. So I actually checked into step or to steps treatment center. Did you really? <laughs> yes. Fantastic. We got an. Did you graduate? Yes. Uh huh. We have an alumni of steps sitting right here. Another thing I did not know. I'm just learning all kinds of cool stuff about about you today. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So that. How long ago was this? This is four years ago. Four years ago. Yeah. Okay. Four years ago. So we you checked in. yourself in. Mm hmm. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Internally motivated. Yeah, uh-huh. Packed makes my own the, bag. Makes all the difference in the world. Mm -hmm. No TV show needed. Yeah. No high-pressure situation. <laughs> you had just accepted that you're ready to get some help. Yeah, uh-huh. Man, I'm I could like, hug you right now. That's awesome. Oh, I love thanks, that. Jared. I yeah. love that. Yeah, cool. it was good. And that's where, that's where everything, I guess it just started, you know, the first six months of recovery where I wasn't sure if I was still in hell or you know what i mean i was really in a weird mind space i'm sure when you were going through treatment you thought you were in hell right yeah. <laughs> <laughs> listen i love i love all the clients that we that we treat at steps i do <laughs> the residential clients are by far the toughest yeah uh, right? oh yeah there's a reason why you send your loved one to treatment mm -hmm. and so you don't have to deal with the stuff that we deal with <laughs> in a residential treatment setting right <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Yes. People <laughs> and personalities. And listen, to, to be fair, they're, it's their, their lowest point. They're the sickest of being sick. Right. I mean, and so there, it requires a extra layer of empathy for those people because it when does. they're having crisis and they're having chaos and they're having their come aparts, you've got to be able to see yourself in that situation and remember what that was like mm -hmm. and just try to love them through it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah that always comes up when I'm working with the newbies. Uh, you know, wow, I was, I remember being there. I remember, you know, the empathy that someone had for me, I can now have for them. Yeah. I love yeah. it. That's awesome. So how, how, what did you think of steps? I loved it. It was, you know, everything was divine. As soon as I checked myself in, it was like, everything was divinely orchestrated. It, was it like all that, just fell into place. Yeah. It was like that surrender happened. And now I was like, you know, in God's will, you know, I took that first step of faith and was just trusting something besides myself and my you know because our best thinking gets us there uh-huh it's gonna yeah. take something bigger than us to get out <laughs> right yes i mean I'm, yeah okay all right <laughs> making sure i'm not the only one with these uh yeah pretty sure everybody that goes to a fellowship is familiar with that yes yeah. uh-huh yeah surrender all right well but you yeah. said the first six months was a little difficult what that look like yeah. Oh, so, uh, you know, I didn't have a license. I didn't have kind of the first, you know, I went through uh, residential day treatment. You know, I waited a year to get um, to get into a relationship or I waited that year. But I really woke up every day like um, trying to get out of hell was my goal, you know, and to raise. Remember, I had this goal weekly. They'd have us write on these sheets. What was our goal? And it was to raise my vibration, to, you know, attract different things because I, I knew that I was attracting kind of the same, I had an epiphany basically about the men in my past and, and why wasn't I looking, why didn't I want something new? I was always trying to fix things with my, these past guys. And I thought I really needed, you know, shift in a big way. So that was, so I made that my goal and I really dove in like I was climbing out of hell, you know, the thing that I think is super cool about your story is just like how profound your awareness grew. Mm. You know, yeah. like from that day you woke up and went like, I'm literally living in hell. Like this is, this is not fun to the point of being able to do the interpersonal work and look back on relationships and be like, why am I doing this over and over again? Right. Why am I trying to fix stuff from my past? Yeah. Pretty cool. Like you're, it's, you know, 
awareness is a big part of it. You know, when it comes to behavioral change, we make it super complicated, but it's, it's yeah. as easy as three steps. Number one, you have to be aware of it. You mm-hmm. have to be aware of the behavior. Number two, you have to accept it. You have to accept right. that you're doing it. And then number three, you have to try something different. Yes. And that's the 3000, you know, blimp view <laughs> of it, but right. It's just yeah. super cool to hear you talk about those things and how it looked for you. Yeah. I think that's, that's been a lot of recovery is, um, changing my, you know, changing my actions and, and getting something different because it's, you know, and wanting something better for your reality. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I know. I thought, why can't I build the life that I, you know, always wanted? And I just gave myself permission to really do it different. So how'd you start? This time. No driver's license. Oh yeah. So no driver's license. So yeah. So I just, yeah, just dove into the rooms to, um, dove into uh, recovery, I guess the fellowship. Which is a part of steps program. You have to Go to three a week. Yeah, go to three a week. Uh huh. Which most clients always complain about. Why do I have to go to these three if it's you know? Yes. Uh-huh. But there's a reason. There's a reason. And it's yeah. Long story. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. I I'm know. just loving it over here. Well, you know, it's community long term. You know, and that's what I had never understood before. I had been to meetings before, but um, I just didn't hear the message. I didn't understand. No one really, you know. But yeah, I got um, a sponsor. I went. Or I went through, I guess, five different sponsors in the beginning, you know, until I realized that I, um, I was the problem. You know, it was like all these epiphanies of like, oh, this is, <laughs> this is me, you know. <laughs> you don't like I, something, you just fire that sponsor and move on to another one. Yeah, which I was totally doing. After your fifth one, you might, you go, hold on a minute. <laughs> maybe it's not them, maybe it's me. Yeah, maybe oh, it's me. Too funny. But yeah, this, the steps were a bit, you know, or uh, yeah, the steps were, um, huge for me. I guess the 12 steps yeah. is what, um, and so, yeah, I've, I've done that. I, you know, I work with new women or I sponsor women and yeah. And life just gets better and better. My aunt asked me to work at her diet center. So I get to work as a, a recovery or a, diet coach. So I coach people through their weight loss and different programs I actually have. So nutrition is a big thing too. I really, you know, when I first got, actually when I first went to treatment and I became a vegan right off the bat. And that, that was, I think part of some healing. That was back in Florida. No, this is, um, this is steps. through steps. Yeah. Okay. Four years ago. You chose to, to, to become a vegan. Uh-huh. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Very cool. What, yeah. what made you decide, like what, what interested you about that? Um, I think I heard something about a seven day vegan challenge and, um, and I thought, well, now would be a time to do it. I'm really, I was really ready for change when I showed up there. And so I thought I would just throw that into the mix because I have such an obsessive personality that I knew that I needed something <laughs> to obsess. About. Sure. And Hey, that's a great thing to help, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. You brought up something that I think is interesting and I think it's important to explain to, to our listeners. Treatment, especially back on the East Coast, I feel like has gotten a really bad rap. Oh, okay. Like I went out to, to uh, Pittsburgh to speak and I told my work for a treatment center and this lady like just jumped down my throat and she's like, you're a body broker and you're just selling people. And, mm. and I'm like, whoa, whoa, that's, that's the first time I've ever had that reaction. You talked about, but also fellowship is the other piece to your story too, right? So mm-hmm. you got treatment, you yes. got fellowship. Fellowship piece is important. I always use this analogy. Treatment helps you get to a place where you're stable enough physically, psychologically to be able to get reintegrated back into life. Yeah. But the bridge between treatment and everyday life and really the other side of that is fellowship. It's community. Yes. If you, you can go in and out of treatment centers for 10 years and really not ever be able to fully reintegrate and be successful back in the community, unless you become part of something in that community. Yes. Right. Uh-huh. And that's where fellowship is so important. It's so that important. bridge. It's that. Does that make sense? Yes. Without. Yeah. I even but then I also go to fellowship meetings and I hear people say, oh, I paid $30,000 to go to treatment. And I, you know, the fellowship's free. And I thought, come on, let's be fair. Yeah. Like yeah. You couldn't have gotten to this point if you were, I don't know, maybe I'm projecting yeah. here from my, no, you're, I couldn't have just done fellowship right off the bat because I would have been so sick. I would have been crawling out of my skin. Right? Exactly. Yeah. I totally agree with you. That really is the, 
I don't know. That's the only jump that did it for me. I needed the, re- I needed the rec- or the treatment center, and then yeah, th- the recovery community. And I think that too. I made a goal to not move. I was going to integrate, plant my roots, and just grow here because I always have this. I want to leave to the, you know, I want to run away or move <laughs> out, you know. And so yeah, community is huge. You're right on, Jared. Yeah, that's cool. I think that. So first of all, a couple thoughts. I can see why it's important for you to stay put, right? Because you always come back. Yeah. <laughs> Number two, you're also not running from yourself anymore. Yeah. You've actually started facing problems and addressing it and becoming more aware of, of yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And number three, I can see why people told you to hold off from, until now to, to date. Yeah. Almost your entire story, it was like boyfriend, then boyfriend, relationship here, yeah. right? It's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure there's a lot of people that can relate to that though. Yeah, I know. It was, yeah, it's part of part of my story, but. So have you been working at the same place that you got your original very first job? No, I actually, I cleaned rooms at, I cleaned rooms at two different places in town. So. Um, there yeah. it is. Uh-huh. And then, and then my aunt asked me to um, come work for her, which was a dream of mine to work in her, you know, it's, it's just help, you know, it's, um, it's ran basically, we just get into a lot of health vitamins. We do vitamin shots and, you know. Give her a shout out. What's the name of the, oh, it's Dr. Diet on St. George Boulevard. Dr. Diet. Yeah. Go see Lana Rose at Dr. Diet on St. George Boulevard. (laughs) She'll love that. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. The reason why I ask is because a lot of people, I feel like we talk about the depths of where our addiction took us. We talk about what kind of got us out, but not too many times do I hear people talk about like the first job they ever got out. Right. Yeah. Or, or having to take the bus. Yes. Like you said, you didn't have a driver's license, right? No. uh, And in fact, right after treatment, um, I, I went to the shelter. So I actually started out at the shelter because I didn't have money to move, you know, the homeless shelter, the homeless shelter. And I really think that some of those things were important for me to build from the bottom up. You know, I really, you know, man, I just realized at some point that I needed to do for myself what you know, I was always wanting other people to do for me, you know, take me to the store, buy me food, all those little things. I'd, Embrace the hard. Yeah. Get more independent. Because it really gave me, you know, this, this strength, I guess, that I could do life in a different way. Just those little things. Yeah. Thanks what, for bringing what's that. the, yeah, for sure. Just because I, listen, I work with people in early recovery all day, every day. Right. And so uh, I hear them come and, and have these things that they bring to group and discuss. And, and some of that stuff is that like, am I going to have to work as a janitor? This was my story, right? Am I going to have to work as a janitor for the rest of my life? That's a pretty terrible thought, right? <laughs> or am I ever going to be able to get my driver's license back? Am I going to be able to, you know, not be on probation for the rest of my, like those are, that's stuff that people face in early recovery. And I think that's why it's so hard to stay in recovery is, is not enough people share like, yeah, dude, been there. That, it, in the fellowship they do and that's what's beautiful about it right yeah so talk to me about we got three minutes here you're in you're in life in recovery today Uh uh-huh yes life four years clean four years clean Uh uh-huh what what's what's the fun what's the best thing about being clean today oh my gosh i think i think the joy of living and just you know connection connection with people has been um but man, I just never thought I could be this happy with myself and being, you know, and with my, with my own peace of mind and with knowing that I'm, I guess it really came, you know, it really comes down to living in God's will, you know, that the peace that comes with that, I feel like, you know, and that's what I pray for every day, but it's, it's just a joy to be alive. The, the life I never expected I would have, you know, that I would have. I so hear serenity. Yeah, it, it is. It's serenity. Yeah. Just and the, then, that peace of mind, like not running again, not worrying, yeah. not yeah. just, just kind of like being comfortable in your own skin, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Having family back in my life and relationships and being able to heal relationships. I How never long did thought. that take? Um, they started inviting me to family events, I would say, at year two of my sobriety. And now I'm on all did, the... Did they ever not believe you? Um, <clears throat> super early recovery, were they ever just like, oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, sure, you got your six months. 
No, I I totally kept them out of it. I was so focused on getting really? me better. Yeah, that I didn't. I just all of a sudden was like, oh, my family's mm. coming around. Wow. That's didn't awesome. expect that. That's so cool. <laughs> what family stuff you got planned for this weekend? Um, I'll be at my aunt's and then my sister's in town. So we're going to do that. I'm going hiking with a good friend um, today. But yeah, so we'll probably do the Easter egg hunt. So fun. Yeah. So cool. So cool. I, Lana, thank you for coming on here. And listen, looking back at the picture that from from that intervention day to, <laughs> yeah. to you now, like I just want to applaud you, all the progress you've made. Like, thank you for being such a pillar in our, in our community. Thank you for spreading, you know, all the, the hope that you spread that, you know, it really is like recovery is possible. We do recover. We do recover. We do recover. <laughs> right. It's my favorite. Uh, yeah. It's my favorite piece of literature. That's why I named this pod, the podcast. Oh, up, I love it. That. Yeah. Very cool. All right. 30 seconds out. What do you got? Um, thank you, Jared, for letting the, this is awesome what you do for our community too. This is really great. And this is so much fun. And that's what recovery is about too, is having fun, enjoying life. You know, that's what we get to do. Living it to the fullest. Yeah. Absolutely. 100. Cool. Well, thank you again for coming on. Uh, we got 20 seconds left here. I guess the last thing I want to let everybody know is check it out. If you want to get a hold of us, you can give us a call and leave us a voicemail at 435-525-7555 or send us an email at we do recover with Jared Miller at Gmail. We would love to hear from you. I'll be gone next week. Everybody stay safe. Thank you for joining us today on We Do Recover with Jared Miller. Help us spread our message of hope. Like, comment, and share. If you have any topics or ideas for future shows, please share that on our Facebook page. That Facebook page is We Do Recover with Jared Miller. If you or a loved one needs help, please reach out to us. Again, thank you for listening. Brought to you by Steps Recovery Center and the St. George Hilton Garden Inn. This has been a production from A Podcast Studio.